Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Have you seen the horrible graphic images and videos of the wildfires all over California? Up and down the coast from Northern California in the Bay Area all the way deep into Southern California, essential vital places are on fire, Hundreds of thousands of people are being evacuated. And if you go right now to my Instagram page or the Instagram page of The Breakdown, you'll see brave men going off to fight those fires. Those men are prisoners. I mean that literally. They are currently incarcerated. Men who are being sent from their jails and prisons to fight those fires. Today I want to unpack and explain the horrible intersection of the climate crisis and mass incarceration. This is Sean King, and you are listening to The, the, the Breakdown. The, 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 the Breakdown. The, 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 the Breakdown. I saw a brilliant tweet that said, if the wildfires that are happening all over California. I mean, literally right now, hundreds of thousands of people have had to evacuate their homes, are living in shelters and hotels, that if those wildfires were happening right now in New York and Washington, D.C., which is where most of the nation's political power comes from. I want to say that carefully. I mean, uh, we have a 50, in theory, in theory, we have a 50-state uh, democracy, but most of the nation's seats of power, financial and political, come out of New York and Washington, D.C. But I've lived in California, and if you've ever lived in California and lived somewhere else, what I'm about to say will make perfect sense to you. I say this all the time. I really believe in so many ways, the United States is like eight or nine countries crammed into one big geographic space. In most places around the world, California would be its own country. And if you've ever moved to California from the East Coast, you realize sometimes how little the rest of the country knows and understands about California on a day-to-day basis. Literally, almost every news program on every major station is all filmed in New York and D.C. And they primarily talk about New York and D.C.-style politics. 
And so California and its issues and problems can often get lost in the news cycle. But not only that, when you are living in California, it can be it can be hard to get the nation's attention on a genuine crisis. And what we see right now are tens of thousands, soon to be hundreds of thousands of acres of land on fire. And these aren't just forests, not that that's okay, but we're talking about in urban areas. Uh, Two of the biggest highways in Los Angeles are I-5 and the 405. And the wildfires literally are right up on, on the 405, so much so that they're having to shut down entire highways. Like, it's in Los Angeles. It's in the city. And it's right up on one of the most important, beautiful museums in the world, the Getty Museum. Like, they're even calling this the Getty Fire because the fires are backing up all the way up to the Getty Museum. And here's the thing. When these fires begin to spread, they take on a life of their own. This notion that we're going to be able to definitively protect homes and museums from these fires is foolish. These fires we're seeing are crossing highways. They are engulfing areas around bridges. Did you see this fire that completely engulfed the area around a bridge in Vallejo in Northern California. And it's like, wow, what, what are we doing about the climate crisis that is upon us? These fires are being sparked by cigarette butts. Like, you know, when I was a kid, uh, we regularly saw these uh, cartoons and, and images of uh, Smokey the Bear, and, and it was like, and I think that's his name. And we were regularly told that, you know, most fires are created by people. And in some way, these fires are created by the reckless way we treat our environment. But these fires that are going on all over California are created by dry heat and are are sparked by the reality that there's so little moisture, not only in the air, but just rain altogether, that these areas are a level of dry that is hard to comprehend unless you live in them. So much so that I saw a climate scientist on air yesterday say that many of these areas that have been inhabited in California now for over 100 years we might need to start considering huge swaths of land that currently have hundreds of thousands and in some places millions of residents uninhabitable because they are so susceptible to wildfire that many of these areas are going to experience what's going on all over California. They're going to experience this in perpetuity over and over and over again. And so as we see the climate crisis unfolding in real time in California, it's not it's not coming. It's there now. As we see it unfolding in real time, 
we also see the intersection of the climate crisis and mass incarceration. Now, this is not new. If you've been following this, California has many programs where men and women who are incarcerated, prisoners, inmates, are trained to fight fires. And and I want to give an honest perspective on this. I actually spoke this morning to several people whose loved ones, whose sons and brothers are currently fighting fires. I mean, right now, fighting them overnight, sometimes on 20-hour shifts. So many people reached out to me after I posted a video that I want you to check out. It's on my Instagram. It's on the Instagram page of The Breakdown of brave men who are, they are firemen. And to the naked eye, they look like any other fireman going off to fight fires. And for all intents and purposes, that's exactly who they are, except those men are currently incarcerated. They are all serving prison sentences and are a part of one of many special programs that train California's incarcerated men to go out and fight fires. I had several people who reached out to me when they saw that video, and it made them emotional because they know that their loved ones who are currently incarcerated are also fighting those fires, but they rarely get to see images or videos of them doing their work. And I have so many mixed feelings about what I'm witnessing. And I just want to unpack and explain that. Let me break it down. Today's episode of The Breakdown is brought to you by Quip. As I've said right here on the podcast so many times, I only promote products that I use, that my family uses, and that I'd feel good about you using as well. And I want you to give Quip a try. It's a better, smarter toothbrush that's created by dentists. Quip automatically delivers brush heads to you every three months for clean new bristles right on schedule. How long are you keeping that toothbrush? You need somebody to send you a new one so you can keep it fresh. It has a sleek, intuitive design. It's simple to use, and it comes with a travel cap that doubles as a mirror mount to help you keep your toothbrush clean. These thoughtful features make brushing something you actually want to do twice a day, not just once. Good habits matter to live a healthier life, so help form fresh oral health habits with Quip. And just for our listeners right now, Quip starts at just $25, and you'll get your first refill free at getquip.com king. This is a simple way for you to support our show and start brushing better, but you have to go to getquip, that's Q-U-I-P.com slash king, to get your first refill free. Go right now, check it out, to getquipquip.com slash king. And after you get quip, let me know what you think, all right? Email me, give me a shout out, and let me know how it goes. Break it down. I have to go back. I actually have to go way back to the Civil War. And after the American Civil War, where nearly a million people were killed, nearly a million people were critically injured, where North 
fought the South and the North defeated the South, the Union defeated the Confederacy, to ban slavery as we knew it, to ban plantation slavery, to ban chattel slavery, that is to ban the transatlantic slave trade and plantation slavery as it was known. And those things happened that, you know, there was the Emancipation Proclamation. There was the 13th, 14th and 15th Amendment that came out of all of all of the war and the battles of the North and South, which just weren't that long ago. And out of that, the 13th Amendment is regularly hailed as the amendment that ended slavery. And there's been a lot of talk about it. I actually wrote my my grad school dissertation just about our national misunderstanding of what the 13th Amendment is and isn't and how it was actually written, how those words were chosen, where they came from, how haphazard the process was. It was just a sloppy, unoriginal process of how those words were even chosen Instead of the 13th Amendment just saying slavery is now banned in the United States, that's literally all it needed to say. Slavery is hereby banned in the United States. It says, except as punishment for a crime. It says basically slavery is banned, then with an asterisk right there, with an exception, except as punishment for a crime. And so what we see from the 1860s all the way until now is we see millions and millions and millions of people being incarcerated and forced into labor under sometimes the guise of, hey, this isn't forced. They chose this job. But it is a form of slavery. These men who are being used in California, often paid pennies an hour. And people say, hey, they could use those pennies to buy snacks in the commissary. No, you no, you can't. If you understood how much the snacks in the commissary cost, they cost more than they cost in vending machines. They are charged exorbitant amounts of money in jails and prisons for the most basic supplies, phone calls, emails, I have an email account where I email several different incarcerated men regularly, and we are being charged $2.50 just to email each other, one email. And so, yeah, being paid pennies an hour, it doesn't add up, not at all. And it's, it is a form of slavery that men are being, men who are incarcerated are being used to do what every American understands is perhaps one of the most dangerous jobs in the world. Not only being a firefighter, but fighting wildfires is extremely dangerous. Now, these men volunteered to be a part of the program. And people may say, Sean, it's not slavery if these men volunteered to be a part of it. Again, when you are incarcerated, the things you'll do to get out of the jail, to get out of the prison, uh, in some programs, for every day you fight a wildfire, 
They will give you a day off of your prison, an additional day off of your prison sentence, sometimes two days, some programs even three days. So some men are doing the work just to reduce their sentencing. But mind you, we live in a nation where people are given 10, 15, 20 years for not just almost exclusively black and Latino men and women are giving 10, 15, 20 years for nonviolent drug crimes. So, of course, if you ask any of those men who are serving outrageously long prison sentences, will you fight a fire to reduce your prison sentence by three days, by six days, by 20 days? Of course you would. But it's an outrageous proposition in the first place. But what's doubly painful, and this is what I posted on Instagram, is that when these men who have been trained by licensed firefighters and experts who now have the most relevant experience anyone could ever have in being a firefighter, when they are released, they are immediately banned from being a firefighter. That's right. In California and in most states, if you have a felony on your record, you cannot become a firefighter. In fact, you are banned from almost all forms of public service if you have a felony on your record. Now, some people said, well, Sean, there are exceptions. They are rare. And again, let's not hold up an exception to say it's the rule. In California, even after you fought fires as an inmate, as an incarcerated man, even after you fought wildfires up and down the coast, when you are released, that profession is not available to you. If that doesn't incense and frustrate you, I don't know what will. If it doesn't reveal the painful hypocrisy in this system that we are trying to teach you to no longer call it justice, it's not just. This system is not a justice system. It's not a criminal justice system. It's a legal system. It's about laws and policies, but there's very little justice here. If you don't see the the hypocrisy, and and I have to I have to summarize it in in this phrase that that I share all over the country. This system was not created on accident. It's not broken. It's not a broken system. And I have to correct people all the time. It's functioning exactly the way it was designed and built and intended to function. In fact, it's firing on all cylinders. It's doing exactly what it was meant to do on the backs of the people it was meant to do it on. This system is functioning exactly, precisely how it was designed and intended to function. These men who are fighting the fires for pennies to get days off of their sentence, that's all a part of the grand design. It really is an extension of the 13th Amendment, and the 13th Amendment should be amended to have those words removed so that it does indeed just say slavery is hereby abolished in the United States, period, point blank. 
facebook.com end of story no exceptions and that's it but in so many ways we seem to have lost our will for deep substantive change and uh we're gonna have to fight for it in every kind of way break it down thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode of the breakdown if you have not already subscribed to our podcast Please, please subscribe now on Apple Podcast, on Spotify, or whatever podcast app you're using. Also, please leave a review. We have now over 11,000 five-star reviews from all over the country and all around the world, and we're grateful to always see those great reviews. And uh, I, I go back and read them sometimes just to keep myself encouraged to know that you all are listening, that it's making a difference, that it's making an impact on your life and on our world. Of course, thank you so much to our associate producer, Lissandra, and our senior producer, Willis, for their help on this and every episode. Take care, everybody.